is it wrong that I want to believe that you guys only cheer like that for me? It like, makes me feel... I've got pictures of this guy right here when he was this tall. I actually would probably get you more dates because you were cute then. Um, oh, that's messed up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, so I, I'm Pastor Hal, and um, I, I'm going to start off probably in a, in a little bit of a weird way. I, one of the things that I, um, I have really enjoyed was... Uh, uh, there's this guy named Ron Funches who has this uh, reel that's around right now, big time, that people are seeing. And I wanted to share it with you tonight. And it's funny, when you just watch something just by yourself, you laugh at it and you're like, oh, this is fine. And then you watch it again, like you're going to show it in front of uh, in, a, in a church. And you go, oh, he curses a lot. And uh, he, he uses the N-word. And I don't have that card yet. So um, I'm not going to share that. But, but what, what he says is this, he, he goes, you know, he just goes on a little bit of this rant, and he's like, you know, I hate, I hate bigots, I hate uh, races, I hate all these people, and I hate people that don't believe in conspiracy theories. And he says, he goes, because, he goes, you know, I'm not saying you have to believe in all conspiracy theories, but I, I don't understand why people don't believe in at least one conspiracy theory. He goes, because, he's like, because you're, that means you're saying, like, the government is, like, batting a thousand, he goes, the government is ahead of all people. And he goes, I'm a dad, I'm ahead of one person. He goes, and I lie to that kid all the time. And so, and what I say with that, just kind of starting off is, it's kind of interesting because as we walk through it, like back in my day, it was considered a conspiracy theory. Uh, the idea that the government, um, uh, the, the regulations for food and all this kind of stuff wasn't actually healthy, they were just trying to make money. And now we just kind of know it. <laughs> it's like that's the way that it goes. Because when I was growing up, they actually, it started the whole like fat is bad for you, fat makes you fat, sugar is good. Uh, that was a fun thing. They literally, on kids' products, I remember we would have like sports drinks and stuff like that. They didn't even list it as sugar. They listed it as energy. So you thought what you were doing was great. What you're, what you're actually doing was getting horribly addicted to sugar like I am. And so we went through that, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, that, that, that's wrong, and they, they changed things. They're like, well, also cholesterol, if you eat cholesterol, it means your cholesterol goes up, and that's not true at all. And now, the, actually what's funny is they just came out with a new thing that the government's using from Tufts, and you haven't looked at it before. It's actually, it's hilarious, because what we found out is all these companies support all of these things. Like, if you ever heard of the study that, that said, like, all calories are the same, that's all funded by Coca-Cola because they want you to feel okay about drinking a drink that just has sugar in it. And so they have this new thing out there, and right now it lists the, 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 all the foods that are the healthiest. And what's really funny is Cheerios is one of the healthiest things you can eat, and it's actually above whole grains. I'm like, okay. And then literally they have Lucky Charms at the same level as a chicken breast, which I would love to believe because I love Lucky Charms. Like I do. And above that, they have frosted mini-wheats, which is above, like, fish. I'm like, this is amazing. And it's like one of those things, I'm like, the government's not even trying anymore. They're like, yeah, they paid us a lot of money, so we put Cheerios at the top. Like, this is what's happening. And so the reason I say that is because, you know, I think when we look around at life, when we look around the world around us, like, everything is set up for us to fail. Everything is set up for us to not be healthy at all. 
I mean, from the food that is basically always in front of us, telling us you should eat this, you should eat this, you should eat this, even the way that we live our lives, from the entertainment, from everything that's in front of us, even the way that we do our relationships. I mean, there a lot of us in here, we are just addicted to the beginning of a relationship. Like, we're addicted to that fun, jump in way faster than you should. You go in way faster emotionally and physically, all that, because you just love being in love. And so you find out afterwards, you the breakup goes bad, and you're like in this deep place, so you just find somebody else to fall in love with again. And we do the same thing with just our life. We go, you know what? I don't want to feel this way, so I'm going to take the momentary happiness over everything else. And then on top of it, here's what's, what's so amazing and so great about our government is they go, well, after you do all of that, after you bottom out your happiness, if you feel really bad, then we will sell you a product or a pill that will make you feel better. And so basically, our economy is basically, uh, we're going to make you unhealthy and then sell you the answer. And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, it's been interesting just kind of watching it. I, I don't, I'm not somebody that watches commercials because I, like many of you, steal passwords from family members of all the streaming sites. And so that's normally what happens. But during football season, I'm forced to watch commercials. And it's very weird to watch commercials when you have an eight-year-old sitting next to you. Because a lot of commercials talk about a lot of things that you don't want to explain to an eight-year-old. And for example, like there's these, this company, um, it's basically the same company, but they have two ways of going at it. There's HEMS and HERS. Have you seen that? And, and it's like HEMS is treatment for men who have ED, which is really fun to explain to an eight-year-old. And what was weird about it is back in, you know, I feel like five years ago, all of those commercials like Cialis and all that was all like two 80-year-old people sitting in a tub holding hands, making everybody feel uncomfortable. Like... <laughs> Now it's like 20-year-old guys. And I'm like, what in the world's going on here? And then you look, it's like, oh, wait. Guys' testosterone in 20-year-olds is down 50%. Their sperm count's down 60%. They actually think in the next 40 years, guys will not be able to have kids. Why? Well, apparently, because a lifestyle of video games, porn, and bad diet affects things. Like, do I laugh at that? No, it sucks. It's awful. Like, it's a weird thing. That happens, and then you go on the other side, you have hers. And hers, I mean, it's interesting. So apparently, our lifestyle for guys totally kills their sex drive. For girls, it just kills their soul. Because for girls, it's just depression medication. And, and I'm not saying that, like, and look, I, I need you to understand right off the top of the bat, when I'm talking about this, I'm not saying depression medication is something that you should never take or anything like that. What I'm saying is this we've gotten to the place where some of the areas that we live our lives, that it's possible to change those things, but instead of changing those things, we just take a pill. Or we've gone through trauma, we've gone through things, we need that for a moment. I'm not saying you don't, but instead of working through it, instead of taking steps, we just stay on that pill. And look, I, I'm being very serious when I say society right now is killing women's souls. I believe that. I think it's incredibly hard to be a woman because you don't know what you're supposed to be. I feel like even the idea of what feminism is changes every six months and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to attract the opposite sex, even in the church, trying to figure it out. Because you're trying to live your church life, you're trying to live your life the way you're supposed to and be respectful and do all that kind of stuff, but all the guys are noticing is the other girls that aren't doing those things. You're like, well, am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to do these things? Ruth laid at Boaz's feet, but I'm definitely not going to do that. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what is supposed to happen here? And when I say that, when I talk about these things, like all this, like when I talk about the medication, when you look into it, like depression meds over time wane. Depression meds over time, you have to take more of it, which have side effects. I mean, uh, the commercials, it's like may cause this, this, and this. You're like, that's a lot. But we've gotten so much as a society that we're so much, we're, we're going after joy. We're going after these things. And what has happened is when we 
when we don't plan for what's going to happen, we take whatever's in front of us, which puts us in a bad position. And we have no choice later on to continue to take what's right in front of us because we haven't planned for the future. And here's what I, here's what I say by that, because I, I think most of the time, if our life is going okay, we're fine, but the moment something happens, we're like, oh, what do I do in this moment? How do I react? And, and the problem with that is it's really hard it's really hard, and I want to explain this, to find joy or to have joy in our circumstances if we're not ready for circumstances, if we're not ready for what is about to happen in our lives. See, we've been talking about the, the book of, of Philippians, and what's interesting is the book of Philippians is considered a book on joy. It, it's considered a book on joy, which is weird because the guy writing it is in prison. Like, he, he is in prison. He is away from everybody else. He is possibly awaiting a death sentence, Yet he says over and over, he says many times in the book, he goes, this is great joy when I talk about these things. This is great joy when I remember these things because his entire mindset from the beginning when he started following after God was in the right place. So no matter what his circumstances were, he had joy. See, I need you guys to understand something. Happiness is based on my circumstances. Joy is just based on God and who he is. One of those changes, the other one doesn't. And so if we look at our lives and we go, okay, I want to have joy in my life no matter what is going on. I want to have joy in my life no, no matter the circumstances that come into play. How do I do that? Well, when we look at chapter 4 of Philippians, it kind of gives us a little bit of a blueprint for that. I would say even the entire chapter 4 is almost a blueprint on mental health and how to follow after God. And here's the, the main thing that it starts off with. And this sounds so easy. And like, look, guys, this isn't new to any of us, okay? When I say these things, you're not going to go, oh, my gosh, I've never heard that before. But what I hope this is is a reminder because we need reminders regularly to focus on the right things. And here's what point number one is. Focus on the right things. Like how I know that. But we should focus on the right things. Why? Because change starts in our mind. Mental health starts on our mind. It's what we think of. They, they say, they've said this over and over. Where you focus is where you're going to change at. And in Philippians 4, 8, we see him telling us, Paul telling us, what is it that we should focus on? He says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. He says, Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And here, here's why this is, this is so important is because where our mindset is determines whether or not we can even enjoy anything in front of us. Yeah. It could be, we could have, you've seen this before, you have seen people who are in a better circumstance than you that have something that you actually want, yet they have zero joy because their mindset is wrong. John Milton said it this way, he says, the mind is its own place and in itself can make heaven of hell or hell of heaven. Meaning this, you could actually have what in front of you is a beautiful gift from God, yet it doesn't seem that way. I mean, I've seen people who have great spouses, but they don't see it because their mindset is wrong. I've seen people that end up having a great job, but they don't see it because their mindset is wrong. They have beautiful abilities who have some kids and bring them into this world, but they don't, they don't understand the joy of it because their mindset is wrong. See, we've got to be able to focus on these things. So what does he say focus on? He says focus on things that are true. And guys, this is hard today because here's what truth is. Truth is the ability to actually see reality. To actually look at reality and go, this is what's actually happening. Which is tough because it seems to constantly change. I mean, I, I was amazed by this the other day. There's this article about this guy who was my age. And he decided, he had a wife and kids and had a job. And out of nowhere, he decided that he was an eight-year-old. 
It says, I identify as an eight-year-old. It's like, okay. And what's crazier is that a family adopted him in to live with his other two kids to do that. I was like, this is crazy. Like, I, I can't imagine going up to my wife and going, you know what, I decided I'm eight years old. She'd probably just smack me and she'd say, no, you're not. But it's weird, like how can you do that? Like in reality, how can you look at reality and do those things? Like I know I'm not eight years old. I know I'm older because some of you come up to me and they're like, hey, notice there's some gray in the beard. I know, I too use a mirror. Like it's there, like I I know that that's there. And I also know it because targeted ads have changed in my life. Like that's the weirdest thing. Like I, I literally, like it's not that I want these ads, but I used to have ads that say single women in your area. It used to say that. Not that I'm looking for single women, but out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere, it changed to mature single women in your area. It's like, what the crap? What is mature what is a mature single? I'm, I went to my wife, I'm like, you can't leave me, because apparently I now have to date a mature single woman. Like I don't know what this means. But you look at reality. It's the ability to see reality. Here's the deal. The only way, the only way that you're going to be able to see reality in every situation in a world that's always changing is if you have a standard for truth. It's the only way it can happen. And I know people look at it and they go, well, how? You don't understand. It's outdated. You don't understand that things have changed. But look, the amount of stress and anxiety you don't have to feel because you know what you believe I mean, guys, one of the biggest reasons that people are stressed out, have all kinds of anxiety, they have no idea what to believe. And it changes. What are we supposed to be for? What are we supposed to be against? What are we supposed to stand for? What shouldn't we stand for? There, there are things that, that are incredibly hard to understand in today's world, but if you don't have that truth, you can't be honest about, one, your own life and deci- deciding which way that you should go. See, we, we do this in our lives. We try to control the narrative. We try to change what our truth is because in and of itself, who do we want to be? We want to be our own God. See, that, that's, what, that's our biggest problem is God's like, this is truth, and we're like, but I want it to be different. I, I want to change the narrative in my own life. He says we got to focus on what is true. Also, it says honorable. Guys, we are honoring a lot of people that don't deserve it. And here's what I mean by honoring. We're paying attention to them. We're watching them. We're listening to them. I mean, did y'all see what happened at the Grammys last night? Like, it, it's, a, it, like it's one of the, like, I am not one of those people, like, Satan's taking over, but it's like, dang, that was bold. Like, if you didn't see the Sam Smith thing, it's, it's bold. I mean, before in the past, we had to say, well, I think Beyonce made it this. But now it's like, no, he just, he's Satan. He did it. Guys, who are the people that you're paying attention to in life, in the world, and all those things? They don't live an honorable life. They don't live in a life that's actually worth watching, but you're continuing to do it. And, and here's why I say that, is we tend to imitate those things that we pay attention to the most, whether we like it or not. And so when we, add in, we, we allow things to come into our minds that are not honorable, we start to focus and go that way. It says also to focus on things that are just. What does that mean? Those are things that are right, that are true in God's eyes. And this is the opposite of selfishness. Because when we look at life, when we look at what we believe is just, it's what I want to happen, it's what I want to do, it's what I think is right. God says, no, no, what just is, is what is right in my eyes. It says, focus on what is pure. And this, in this verse, the Greek word there has a direct idea with sexual. What is pure sexually? And look, we get, we've talked about pornography. I know we've talked about it many times. And I think many times we go, okay, pornography. And then we draw the line right there when really we've got to take several steps back from it. 
Because when I talk to many of you guys, and, I, and I've even talked to some of the girls here, my wife's talked to some of your girls, look, the, the line for pornography needs to be brought back because the reason you end up looking at it again is not because one day you just go, I'm going to look at pornography, is that you were on Instagram looking at the wrong things. It was that you saw a scene in a show that looked at the wrong things. And it started you focusing on those things and doing those things, and all of a sudden you're back to where you were before. See, when we allow these things in our life, when we allow just the beginning of it, it leads us down a path that we don't want to be. It says, focus on things that are lovely. These are things that we go out in nature, we get to look at and go, man, God created this. This is amazing. It says, focus on things that are admirable, things with good character, things that when we, when we look at them, it encourages us to do the right thing. When we show them to others, it encourages them to do the right thing. So here's my question for you. Are you starting your day focusing on what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and admirable, or are you starting your day on social media? I mean, I meant to say this earlier. You guys know, like, the research, right? Like, they've done the research, like, I think it was 2012 is when social media starts. And you look at the number of depression cases in young women, suicide cases in young women, all that. And like it was here and then all of a sudden social media came in and it went up. Like it's not even like, oh, it may be that. It's that. It's that. It's the things that, that we're looking at. It's the things we're paying attention to. I'll just be straight honest with you right now. If you start your day off with just a little bit of God's word and prayer, it will change your day because it changes your outlook. Yeah. Changes what you want to do. So we change our focus. Here's number two, another incredibly profound point. Do what God has told you to do. But truthfully, this is the hardest part of the Christian faith. It really is. We love to hear really good message. We hate actually doing them. We, we love to hear what God wants us to do, but we don't like to do it. Philippians 4, 9 says it this way. It says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Notice that. He says, when you put these things into practice, then the peace comes. Which means peace is connected to practice. It's not what you believe, it's what you do. It's how you act. And so when we're sitting and we're going, I have no peace in my life, I have no peace in my life. Well, what are you doing with your life? Are you focusing on these things or are you focusing on those? Are you living your life the way that God wants you to or are you not doing it? Look, our world right now, I think we could all agree with this, does not lack information, right? It lacks wisdom and it lacks the ability to follow through on what we know is right. We have a hard time disseminating what is truth and we have a hard time actually following through and doing it. Like, look, God didn't write this book for information. There's not gonna be a test when you get to heaven. He wrote this book for transformation, He's like, I want you to be more like Jesus, and here's the blueprint to get there. And he says, but when you do it, you'll receive peace. You'll have, look, you will have a peace and a love in your heart that you wouldn't have either, any other way. Like, what's crazy is we have, we have an actual Bible, which some of you may not even have anymore. Like, you've got it on your phone, you've got it on your tablet, you've got it on your computer, we've got it on all these kind of things, but the problem is we've got to take it from those places, and it's got to infiltrate our heart and actually lead to change. Like, just having a Bible isn't enough. It's got to turn into something more. I mean, think about how many of these things do we do in our lives anyway? I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have a gym membership right now that you haven't been to that gym? You know, all the gyms that are $10 a month, the reason they do that on purpose, 90% of people don't use them. 
I mean, how many of you have a piece of gym equipment in your house that you bought with big ideas, but it never, never used it? Or maybe you're laying clothes on it. How many of you have running shoes and a cute outfit, but never ran? <laughs> how many of you went to the store, bought a whole bunch of healthy stuff, and paid way too much for it at Whole Foods, and then got fast food on your way home? Because that night, you're like, I just don't want green stuff. We do. We, we know what's right so many times. We know what's right to do in our lives. We know what's right and what God wants us to do. It's simple. Guys, most of us, we don't need another message. We just need to do the things that God's already called us to do. See, I, I think one of the biggest things that we see, especially in the Christian life, is what, what I would call deferred maintenance. And, and deferred maintenance is this. It's the things that you know you should do. It's the things that God already called you to do, but we don't do it. And some of you would have experienced this in your life when you got a car and that light came up and you're like, it's okay because I don't have any money to fix it, <laughs> right? I had a friend, Brad, in high school, he got a Camaro. He did not change the oil, did not do anything, did not know he had to do that, amazingly. The red light came up, he's like, I don't have any money, so he just kept driving it. Then one day we came up to a toll booth back in the old days when you had to stop at a toll booth and we stopped there and the car stopped because the oil had become solid. Why? Deferred maintenance. Because one of the biggest reasons we end up in situations beyond our control and out of our ability to handle is because we haven't done the things along the way that matter. God said, hey, I need you to get that person out of your life. I need you to bring that person into your life. I need you to start doing these things. I need you to surround yourself with the right types of people. And what we see throughout the Bible is not that God does something really, really massive in a moment, but when somebody shows that they have obedience over time, God does big things. I heard a, I heard a pastor say it this way. He says, we tend to underestimate what could be accomplished in a decade and overestimate what we could do in a couple days. And that's what, and I think that's the hardest for us though. Like none of us are going in a decade, this is where I want to be. But God's going, hey, you just take small steps. Small steps every day, and you'll be amazed at the way that I can change your heart, use you to change the people around you, and put you in a situation you never thought that you would be in. But it all starts with us going, all right, I'm gonna take that first step of obedience. That first step of obedience. So we do what God has called us to do. And in this next point, I really think is one of the hardest things for us to do in the world that we live in, is develop a heart of contentment. Develop a heart of contentment, meaning being good with where I'm at. He says it this way in Philippians 4.10. He says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. Like I said, this is a guy who is in prison for telling people about Jesus. Uh, he is up for trial, which may lead to his death. He's chained to a guard. And really their prisons were more like dungeons back then. And he is saying in this moment, he goes, I praise God. I praise God that you're concerned about me again. I have joy in this time. I says, I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I had learned how to be content with whatever I have. He says, I know how to live on almost anything or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, which is either on a full stomach or an empty with plenty or little. And then he goes into Philippians 4.13, which is one of the most misused verses in all of the Bible. 
because I want you to notice what has he been talking about to this point? Contentment in the hardest times. Not about catching a pass from somebody in the Super Bowl. Not about making a million dollars. None of that. He's saying, it is, he says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. What is he saying? He goes, because of God, I have the ability to be in any situation and have joy. I have the ability to be in any situation and be content. He goes, because I have God, everything is worth it. He's basically saying the presence of God is more important than the situation that I'm in. Because joy does not come from people or things, but it comes from God. See, I, I believe this. Contentment is the great secret to joy. God, God says, I want you to be content. And whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Satan goes, no, I don't want you to be content. I want you to covet. And when you look at what coveting is, which is wanting what everybody else has, at its core, at its base, it is demonic. And, here, and here's why I say that. Because when you look at the very first sins, they were that of coveting. You had the demons in hell. You had Satan in hell coveting what God had. And then he comes down to earth, and what does he do with Eve? He goes, you could be like God. And he passes that on. He goes, hey, you, the, way that you, uh, the way that you should get what you want, you want to be like God. And so demonic, on the demonic side, it's coveting. On the angel side, it's worshiping. See, what's the difference between the angels and the demons? It's what they do. It's one worship, one covets. One worships a God that they know who he is. One covets what the God has, wishing they could be God. So when we choose to covet, what we are basically saying to God is, I wish I was in your place. You're doing a bad job. What contentment is, saying, God, I believe that you have all of this in your hands, and I will worship you no matter what. Because so much of our life causes us to covet. We look around, we're like, I wish I had their looks, I wish I had their car, their life, their job, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their, their spouse. I wish I had these things. And, and I want to I make this aside. And I was thinking about this today, and this, this thought is not fully fleshed out. Um, so I don't want you to hold me to this. I just want you to think about it, okay? I just want you to think about this. Because many times we talk about social media. We talk about, you know, one of the worst things it does is it causes us to covet. As Christians, I just want you to think about this. Are you portraying such a perfect life that doesn't match up to what you really have in such a way that's causing others to covet what you have? Like I said, do with that what you will. I'm just wondering if by our lack of authenticity, right. are we creating an idea that other people can't live up to? Right. And you're their Christian friend. Yeah. <laughs> I love that petty clap. All right. <laughs> Your quality of life is not based on how much you make, but how much you enjoy. Your quality of life is not based on how much you make, but how much you enjoy. 
And you'll see that through people. Because what's interesting is so many times you see two different theologies that are absolutely wrong in the Christian faith. You see a prosperity theology, which you've seen with the guys on TV that basically say, God loves you, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and if you send us $39.99, then we'll send you this thing that doesn't work. And then you, there's this belief then, if I believe in prosperity theology, then if I have a lot of money and I have a lot of things, then I must be really holy, I must be really good so I can look down on other people. And then you have people on the other side, which is a, a poverty theology. And they believe that the only way you can truly be godly, the only way that you can truly serve God if you don't have anything. And they look down on anybody else that has anything and don't believe they're following after God because they have something. Both are wrong. Here, here's the truth. God is going to bless some people with more so that they can give more. God's going to bless some of us with less in certain ways, but more in others. I mean, you see over and over, God talk about how the poor are the ones that inherit the kingdom of God. The poor are the ones that have the ability to truly do what God has called them to do because the things don't get in the way. And I know what everybody says at that moment, well, I'd rather have the money and then you can tell me how it goes. But what I want you to say in this is like, look, it's not about what we have, it's how we enjoy what we have. It's whether or not we're grateful for what we have in this time. Because I believe this, I believe, and I've seen this so many times, some of you in this room are trying to live lifestyles that you can't afford. And the reason you have so much anxiety is because the credit card debt is racking up and you're not sure what to do. And it's because we look at the world around us and we assume if I had those things, if I had that lifestyle, then I would be happy. So how do we start with contentment? It starts with gratitude. It starts with sitting down and going, God, this is the things that I'm thankful for. And reminding yourself that there are blessings in your life. Point number four, partner with God in what he is doing. Partner with God in what he's doing. And let me say it this way. God is already doing things around you. I think a lot of times as Christians, we get this ideology that God wants to do something just special in my life and only in my life, and he's gonna give me this special word and all these things. And look, God may do that in your life, but the way God calls us to get involved is to partner in what he's already doing. Like, hey, God's doing in Grace, something in Grace Family Church. I should be a part of that. God's doing something in the exchange. I should be a part of that. God's doing something in the city of Tampa. I should partner with God in what he is doing. Philippians 4, 14 to 20, uh, Paul talks about this. He says, even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. And, and here's what kindness is. It's sharing in somebody's difficulty. So if you want to know what God talks about when he says be kind, that's what he means. He says, as you know, you Philippians were the ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on to Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want to get from you. Rather, I want to receive, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. He says, at this moment, I have all I need and more. He says, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. This dude traveled is it 800 miles by foot to bring this to him? It says, they are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that are acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who has taken care of me will supply you with your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God, glory to God our Father, forever and ever. Amen. Here's the situation. Look, it's different. When you were in prison back then, if somebody didn't bring you food, they didn't feed you. Like, if somebody didn't bring you a change of clothes, you didn't get a change of clothes. And so the fact that they are this church that is helping him out, they're basically allowing him to live while he's in prison because they would be perfectly fine if he died. So he's thanking him for this because he's going, hey, you allowed this ministry to go forward. You have partnered with me in this ministry. 
And so what, what, I'm, what I want us to understand is there is a difference between being a partner in a ministry and being a consumer. And, and I think the problem that we have with today's megachurch, which we are, is it's very easy to stay a consumer when you should be a partner. It's very easy to stay in that because, and here's what I mean by this, the moment you become a Christian is the moment you should become a partner. The moment you become a Christian is the moment you go, okay, how can I get involved? How can I help out? What we're supposed to do as Christians, we're going, okay, we're partnering with each other to create an environment and something as good as possible so that we can recreate, so we can help get here the consumer, which is those that are non-Christians, those that, you know, don't know about God yet. It's like when you build a building, you don't go around to the neighborhood and go, hey, we want you to donate to this church. You go to the church. In the same way, what we're called to do as Christians is when we become a Christian is to partner. What do we partner in? We partner with our time, our talents, and our treasure. We partner with our time. We give of our time to the people around us, our neighborhood, and to our church. We give of our talents. God has gifted everyone in this room with something that is different. And it says every gift is worthy of God. And then also our treasure. Here's what's great. We're not taking an offering, so I can easily say this. Like we're not at the end of this going to go, okay, now we're going to pass the buckets around and we're going to videotape who actually does it. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> Look, God calls us to give of our treasure. Now, some of you are really broke college students that have no money. I get it. I was there. I get that. Some of you aren't. One of the hardest things to deal with is to give our treasure. You know, Jesus talked about money and possessions more than he talked about heaven or hell. Why? Because that's where our heart is. So when God says, I want you to partner with the church, I want you to partner with what I'm doing, he goes, I want you to give of what you have. Look, some of the reasons some of you are very stuck where you're at if you, is because you have yet to partner with the church. You have yet to partner in what God is doing. God grows us the most when we're actually doing something, not just receiving, not just hearing. God wants to give you a purpose. He wants to give you something more than where you're at right now. Here's what's crazy. I think you guys know this. Tampa is one of the fastest growing cities in America. And the largest demographic that is growing is this room. I guess you guys have been inviting people to Tampa. That's awesome. Okay. No, no, here's why I say that. Wouldn't it be an, a shame if we had a, an incredible opportunity to reach a whole bunch of new people, yet everyone in this room decided, I'm just going to come, but I'm not going to tell anybody about it. I'm just going to come, but I'm not going to help build the ministry. I'm just going to come, but I'm not going to try to help other people out. See, the only way that happens, the only way any ministry grows, the only way any church grows is when the Christians in the room decide, I'm going to partner with the church because this is my church. As, uh, some of you, it just needs to take that next step. You need to decide, you know what, I'm going to partner, whether it's at this exchange, where it's at a Grace family, Grace family Church or your own church. I know some of you go to different churches. We know. It's okay. <laughs> it's true. But you still need to serve there and help them out. And here's the last thing, and I love this. It's use your words to build. Philippians 4.21 said this. He says, give my greetings to each of God's holy people. In other translations, it says saints. All who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings. See, I think what we, we miss many times is how encouraging this is to the church. You gotta realize, the church at this time is filled with a whole bunch of people that have no idea what they're doing. They're trying to figure out what it means to follow after God. They're trying to figure out what it means to do what's right. I mean, Jesus gave them some things, and they're still trying to figure out what else they're supposed to do. I mean, you gotta realize, the things that Paul writes about in his letters, like he literally in one letter had to tell a stepson to stop sleeping with a stepmom. 
And I got read in front of the church. That would be awful. But he's going, I need you guys to understand, you're, you're having a hard time. This is not easy, but you are God's holy people. You are God's saints. And, and here's why I say that. Coming from a very conservative Christian background, I got called a sinner a lot. And many of you are probably in the same place. You're, oh, we're all sinners, we're all sinners, we're all sinners. But when you look and you do a deep dive in, into the Bible, especially into the New Testament, the word sinner is always used with somebody that is yet to become a Christian. But the word saint, the word holy, the word righteous, they're used over 200 times to describe the Christian. So what that means is this, is, is we have, he's, what he's doing in this moment is he was reminding them who they are in Christ. And this is something we've got to be able to do. We've got to be able to encourage others and remind them who they are in Christ. Because what this allows us to do is we, we go, okay, I am not a sinner. I'm putting that identity aside. Something is something that I do, but a saint is something who God says that I am. He says, we, we will sin sometimes, and there are times that we will sin, but all the time, I am a saint in Christ. See, Sinner refers to our dark past. The saint refers to our bright future. And here's why I'm saying this is Paul is reminding this church in this time in the same way. Guys, we have to remind each other. I think one of the biggest reasons people leave the church, and I've seen this, one of my best friends in college goes, I can't do this right, so I'm not going to do it. It's like, that's not a reason not to do it. That's not a reason to give up. And we do. We run into this all the time. We, 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 we go throughout life. We try to do things right. And then when we start to go off track, then we just start to fake like we're following after God. Then sooner or later, that goes off track, and we don't feel like we can do it anymore. So we think it's just easier to leave than it is to follow after God. God's going, no, 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 I need you to understand. I've taken away that. That's no longer who you are. You are a child of God. And here's what happens. Guys, when we encourage other people and what God's words are, we too are encouraged. We too are able to go forward. We too have that reminder of who we are. Look, guys, keeping your mental health and your mind in the right place in today's world is insanely tough and it is impossible to do without the help of those around you. So, so I ask you this. When you, when you look at this message, when you look at what we're talking about, what is your next step? Is it your focus needs to change? Is it that you need to have a content heart? Is it that, you know, I, I need to start partnering with the church? Maybe you're going right now, man, I know some people that I need to help out. Some people that I need to encourage. Or maybe, I think actually probably for all of us in this room, we're sitting there going, you know what, I know what God's asked me to do. I just need to do it. And then when we do it, we go, oh, wow, there's this new life in front of us this better life that I didn't see before. Because whatever your next step is, take the next step today, but don't do it alone. Bring somebody with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you are a God that loves us so much that you really, truly want to bring us a joy that is everlasting. God, I pray that we would be able to take just the next step today and whatever that looks like in following after you. God, I pray that we would not allow the world around us to tell us who we ought to be, what we ought to do, and how we ought to act. But God, I pray that we allow your word to do that. God, I pray most of all, God, that we would be an encouraging group, that we would reach out, that we would care for, and that we would remind each other of who we are and whose we are. God, we thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing. 
And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.